Hello, I'm Joan. I'm a Canadian family physician who also works as a restorative medical educator, facilitator, and coach. I create spaces that rehumanize the work of healthcare. I'm creating this podcast to remind myself, as well as anyone else working in a helping profession, that when you are working and caring for your human patients, you are the other human in the room. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for coming back for another episode of The Other Human in the Room. Um, This week actually is the first week after I launched the podcast and I've started to see people listening and starting to get some comments and um, certainly my brain and my body are offering me a mixed variety of messages and emotions about that. Um, This week, the podcast was about uncertainty and worry and definitely I have experienced some of that because I'm putting myself out in the world in this brand new way. And um, it's been fascinating to see how my body and brain are trying to protect me against other people's thoughts about me and other people's um, feelings that they might be having about my work and about what I'm putting out there. And so I thought this would be the perfect time to talk about that and to talk about the ways that I have um, found helpful to let go, obviously not completely because here they are coming up again as I try something new, but a better way, a more healing human way to understand what other people's feelings and other people's thoughts about me are all about. So I'm actually going to do kind of a two-part one. This first episode, I'm going to be focusing on other people's feelings. And then uh, the next um, full episode is going to be others people's, other people's thoughts about you, other people's opinions of you. So stay tuned for that. So for this first one, um, I'm curious if you will just uh, consider answering this question. How much of your day is spent trying to manage the emotions of others? And I feel very red as I read that because I know historically and even now, I've spent a lot of my day all up in other people's feelings, okay? So some examples. You put a smile on your face even though you're mad at your partner because you don't want to deal with them being mad back at you and the whole fight and everything. So you're managing a possible anger reaction in them by pretending to have another emotion than you actually do. When you're struggling to say no to a patient request because you don't want them to be mad at you and you don't want your staff who has to deal with setting that boundary to be mad at you. And so you're afraid of their feelings. And so you override your own, even though you don't want to do the thing, right? When you do extra work you don't really want to do to try and make someone else happy with you and make someone pleased with you, you know, a lot of that certainly happened in my medical training years. And to this day, I've been known to, you know, do the extra work just to get that gold star praise. I um, am healing from that, but I can't pretend it's not true still. And how exhausted do you feel at the end of these days? riding the waves of emotion you're encountering from your patients and colleagues, just the ones that come at you naturally, as well as all that excess work you're putting into trying to, 
you know, think ahead and plan ahead and manage not having as many of those emotions at the same time. It's exhausting. Because we have this shared belief that we can make each other feel things. Like we have all these phrases in our society. You made me feel X, Y, Z. You hurt my feelings. You know, this person is so draining with all their emotions, right? We have this term, heart sink patients, um, which, I mean, I could unpack that probably in another episode, but just this idea that there's something inherent about certain patients that like, forces our hearts to sink. But we we say it in this way as if it's the patient making our hearts sink, right? This is an issue and is, I think, really an inhuman story that we collectively share with each other. Not on purpose. We're not, you know, conspiring against our patients. It's just uh, we, we share some common beliefs that may not be serving us, okay? And the problem with it is it makes practicing medicine feel like this emotional gauntlet if you have any kind of active sense of your empathy. And so there's these stories, you know, there's a common thread through medicine that the only way to survive is to get tough and to stop feeling and to get cynical and like get black humor. And and um, that's the only way because you have to guard yourself against all the feelings. If you're too soft and f- actually feel your feelings, you're not going to make it in medicine, right? We have all of these stories. But I've already shared with you in a previous episode that the way to feel better isn't by resisting or guarding against your emotions and hoping they go away. That physically and physiologically does not work, is exhausting, and is actually the thing that is burning you out, is resisting your emotions, right? And so what if this piece is also another optional story, like that we're in charge of each other's feelings and they are in charge of ours? What if that's just totally fake news, right? Because if it were true that we were responsible for each other's feelings, wouldn't we be a lot better at it? Like, have you ever tried to to make a toddler stop tantruming in the middle of a tantrum? Good luck to you. I have two small children, a four-year-old and a two-year-old at home. I've tried it. It was not successful. Have your attempts to put a smile on someone's face ever backfired, right? You thought you were, you know, telling a hilarious joke and then you didn't get the response you thought you would. You were trying to make them happy. You were trying to cheer them up. Why didn't they respond the way you did if we're really responsible for each other's feelings, right? Has someone else ever told you to calm down and that did not produce the desired effect? That's another good one, right? So why do we even think that we have any control of each other's feelings? Like, we're really bad at it. Or there's someone malicious out there wishing us that we all have terrible feelings and they're the one in ultimate control, right? Like, when you really think about it, it makes no sense. Are we magicians? Are we wizards? Do we have mind control powers? Like, what do we think? But it's these subconscious beliefs where we feel guilty if someone else gets mad at an action we took. And we're like, oh, we made them mad. Like, When you really think about it, that is like some serious magical thinking, and it's a very inhuman story, okay? Um, But like all these stories, they come from somewhere. And I think this one does come from some places, including some like real sort of biological places. Like all our brains do have these things called mirror neurons, and it's sort of this wiring to that's built for empathy. So like when we perceive someone as sad, we do feel a little sad, right? It, it does like happen naturally. It's not like we're thinking, oh, I've got to feel sad now. It's sort of like they're crying, suddenly you're crying, right? Um, we, we perceive someone as scared, we get more tense, we get a little scared. 
And doesn't that make sense biologically? Like, if you think of that herd of antelope out on the plains, and then like one of their ears like perks up, and then like everyone else's ears like kind of perk up too. Like, it's such an effective like nonverbal strategy to send a threat signal through the crowd. Like, oh, some this person's mad. Maybe there is something threatening that I should be mad at, right? So it's actually pretty a cool mechanism when you think of it that way. But notice, even in this example, it's still just our perception of someone's emotions. Them actually feeling a feeling doesn't ultimately cause our feeling. It's our perception of their emotion. Like if anyone is um, afflicted with, I'll just, I'll, I'll keep this podcast clean so I won't say the swear word, but RBF, resting B-faced, right? Um, you know, others are perceiving someone who has RBF as being really mad. And then they're like, what's your problem? And they get kind of mad. And they're like, hey, your face is making me mad because you're mad, right? But really, they're like bored or tired or um, worried inside, but the, their face doesn't really transmit that. So it's still not the person, the other person's emotion that's making your emotion anything. It's your perception of it. And we also have this as children, like probably really amped up most when we're children. We're wired to find emotional safety from the adults around us or caregivers. And so we really hard, like very deeply mirror their emotions to learn what's safe and dangerous in the world. And, you know, it's a common phenomenon, like say there's a child that has had um, like a deep loss in their family. One of the things that you're supposed to make sure you tell them specifically is this isn't your fault because they, there's this common thought error that kids have that like anything bad that happens around them must have something to do with them. You know, oh, I was mad at grandma the other day and, and now she's passed. I did that because kids have all sorts of magical thinking about their perception of the world and you know their actions in the world having more power over their environment than it is right and that's like just how they figure out about the world that's not good or bad but we like forget to grow out of that so like now we're the grown-ups and ideally we would know that having a mad thought at someone doesn't do anything to them it just sort of hurts us inside actually and that's actually another just a quick example right so like you could be hating someone and be so mad at them and you feel like you have to continue it because that's how you can punish them but they're out like chilling living their lives like they don't even know and so who's it actually hurting right that's another example where we think like our emotions have influence over others or something but they don't my emotions are here in my body your emotions are there in your body. And that is the relationship that we have. There isn't actually any way that I can feel a feeling strong enough that I give it to you, right? But as a culture, again, we just forgot to grow out of that sense, right? So many elements of family and society culture are what they call codependent, where it's like, I need you to be a certain way for me to be okay and vice versa. We're all supposed to just like give each other's needs. Everyone stay happy so the other person stays happy. Put on a happy face for each other. Instead of interdependent, which is, I would say, the more mature, healthy way that we could be relating to each other. Where we do like rely on each other's, you know, actions and skills to a certain extent to survive. I don't know how to farm anything, right? So like we we do rely on each other. And even interpersonally, um, I benefit. I I benefit from someone else being compassionate towards me, but not, I don't need every single person I see to be compassionate towards me. I don't need every single person to be happy with me all the time to be happy. I am in charge of my feeling. 
If someone is happy, I will enjoy the happiness with them because of thoughts of my own brain, though. And that's lovely. But I don't need them to stay happy with me for me to remain happy, right? We have these inhuman stories as well. I mean, we just have this emotion phobic culture, as I talked about in the past, right? And so that gets twisted up in our story. Like, so anger and conflict are bad, period, right? In so many areas of our culture. And so then that becomes a problem. Don't make them mad. You made me mad. That's like a problem to be mad. Even if we did have the ability to force each other into emotions, if we actually all believe that all emotions were fine, it wouldn't be a problem. Be like, oh, you made me mad. Now I'm feeling mad, you know, but we think mad is bad. So that's another element that compounds this issue that we have. Um, and then just to say even more explicitly, like in areas of our culture and society, we have these ideas weaponized against us. Because if you are conditioned to believe that someone else's anger or even sadness is dangerous and that it's your fault, how much more in influenceable, is that influenceable? More evil, how much more easily influenced can you be? So it's like, well, you better do what I say or I'm going to be mad. Well, you better do what I say or you're going to disappoint me. I don't even have to like threaten your freedom. I don't even have to like put you in prison if all I have to do is make you think that disappointing me is bad and that you have control over my feelings, right? This can be used in many places. And, you know, if anyone's used this, so have I. We are all raised in this culture together. I get it. It can be used in really not great ways, though. So maybe there's another way we could do it instead, right? Um, and so just to talk about one more not great way before we move on to ways that are helpful. Now that we, everyone listening to this, if you're working in healthcare, we're the grownups now. And we are service providers in healthcare in positions of power over our patients. So I don't want to spend, I don't want anyone to hear what I'm saying. Hmm. Actually, I will allow you because you're human, autonomous humans who are interdependent from me. So feel free to have thoughts in your brains from what I'm about to say that may produce feelings of shame and guilt, knowing that I haven't made them in you. I just caught myself doing, I don't want to make you feel bad. Interesting. I'm going to share something with you that I have noticed. When I notice it, it did for a period of time produce some feelings of shame or guilt. And so if those are what you end up feeling, I understand. And those are yours to feel or not feel. You get to decide what you think about what I say, okay? And guilt and shame are survivable. So there's that as well. Getting back to what I was just saying. As healthcare providers, we have power over our patients. So if we stay in the belief that patients' emotion, emotions cause our own, we get into really unhealthy habits of giving into requests that we don't agree with in order to avoid conflict, you know, which risks sometimes the patient's lives or our own, li- our own, our own licenses and our ability to practice medicine and certainly risks our integrity and our, our feeling of feeling good with our work, right? All those people-pleasing behaviors we have you know, they can really get us out of our own integrity and um, acting in ways because we don't want our patients to be mad at us. We don't want our patients to experience emotion in our direction, basically, right? Um, And we can be so uncomfortable with big feelings that we rush in to fix them rather than holding space for them. And we can unintentionally reinforce the message that their patient's anxiety is dangerous or their grief is 
is uh, not acceptable or they're if their pain or discomfort is a threat to us and then they start to feel bad like have you had patients come in and be like I'm so sorry I'm crying and that isn't necessarily because of anything that you said in the room that's because of society and there can be ways that we're subconsciously reinforcing that when we rush into fix and we don't leave them space to just feel their feelings and so if if guilt or shame arises when you consider your past behavior in trying to fix people's feelings, I understand I've been there. I continue to be there. How can we let knowledge and awareness about the ways that we used to manage, try and manage and fix other people's emotions as fuel to change? Because that everyone is starting from somewhere and we were all trying our best. I'm not here to like convict anyone or our, um, I don't. I would not invite anyone to feel, have thoughts that produce so much shame that they get stuck in it or feel like they can't handle it. The point is shame's another emotion. And now that we've brought to light something that we didn't know before, we can heal it and we can come to a better way to give other people's emotions back to them. This is why giving other people's emotions back to them is so important. And so how do we do that? By owning our emotions is step one, two, three, four, five. And so, you know, episode three, what it takes to feel better of this podcast talks all about our own emotions and more healing stories about emotions, how all they are are physical sensations meant to take care of us. They are not the devil. None of them are dangerous, even shame, even guilt, even fear. All they are are signals from our brain about our environment. So really doing that deep work is so powerful, not only for us to feel better, but for us to then take the step of creating space to help others feel better, right? And so that's number two is intentionally creating and holding space for our patients or our colleagues or our our tantruming toddlers, like any of these people. Once you have worked on and as you continue to grow your own capacity to feel your own feelings you will then have space to create a container in which others can feel theirs so if you are now thinking that that feels harder you're like oh great so now i have to not only feel my own feelings but like hold space so other people can feel their feelings that feels like more of that invisible burden that feels like it's going to be more exhausting and and it's unfair i'm already feeling like i'm emotionally exhausted now i have to hold space for other people like i can barely handle my own emotions the truth is this is easier this is lighter this is deeply empowering for you and the other person You only feel more weighed down if you think that like holding space for another person's emotion is going to be a problem. If you think it's a problem to feel emotions in the first place and therefore are resentful that their emotions are sparking your mirror neurons. So if you know like, okay, if I'm going to walk into a room where someone's crying, yeah, I'm probably going to have my body's going to like sense like, should I be crying too? And they're going to feel a bit sad. And like, I don't want to ever like feel happy if someone's feeling sad that will feel odd, right? Um, Unless it's like a good kind of sad where I'm like happy that they've made a breakthrough, right? But like, otherwise, like I can grow my own capacity for grief so I can hold that small amount of grief that comes up when I'm witnessing someone in deep grief. And that is actually really beautiful and, and healing for me and for them. It's like a generative process. It creates more space in me to hold on my own emotions as well as giving them space for theirs. 
Also, if you think that their emotions are a problem you have to fix, then it all seems exhausting. Well, now I need to know the answers. Now I need to know how to get them to stop crying. You don't need to know any of that. When you're just holding space, you're literally holding space. And their emotions going to last as long as it does. And it doesn't have to be finished by the time you leave the appointment. You're going to hold space and they're going to say, okay, this is the end of their time. And they're going to carry that emotion as long as it's meant to be carried by them. But you can hold space for the 15 to 30 minute appointment with them. It is easier, I promise. I am all about things that make healthcare easier. And this is like my number one hack. Holding space for other people and your own emotions is my number one hack. The verb here is allow. You allow your emotions to do their things. You witness how they're moving up and down your body, your heart's beating faster or slower, and you allow the other person, your patient or your colleague to do their own thing. Nothing has gone wrong. Everyone's feeling their feelings. Everyone's having physical sensations in their body. And that is all that's going on. It's like if you walked outside and it was pouring rain, if you want, you can rant and rave and like, you know, wave your fist at the sky that the, the, the cloud is raining on you. Or you can say it's raining. It'll rain as long as it rains until it stops. It's the exact same process that you can do with your own emotions as well as the emotions of someone else. So just getting really practical, because I know that was pretty conceptual and that's how my brain likes to think. But I also like to, to share like practical steps of how you can do this. So the first thing is, again, getting into my own feelings. Um, so for me, some really common like daily practices is either like listening to podcasts that teach me more about my emotions like this one or talking out loud what my emotions are telling me or journaling. So just having space to like witness my emotions as well as embodied practices like exercise, dance, yoga. So things where I'm in my body and moving and witnessing that I'm okay, even if my body has a heart that's racing fast or I'm really sweaty. All of that helps me gain capacity to feel my feelings better. And then practically speaking, and I'm going to talk about a patient encounter, but you could be doing this for any conversation that you think may have some emotions, which if you're going to talk to another human, it's possible. All the humans be feeling feelings, okay? So before I walk into a patient room, I check in with myself and my feelings. What am I about to bring into the room with me is the way I think of it. So how can I maybe set set down some of the stuff I'm bringing in? So if I'm in a big rush, if I'm stressed, if I'm worried about something else, how do I clear space for myself so that I can really be present with this patient? So I might write down, I might I have a little place where I write down just like in a big jumble everything I'm thinking because I can always pick it up later. Physically, sometimes I like stretch really high or take in a few deep cleansing breaths or I like root my legs into the ground and like really ground myself, like feel my feet and feel all my toes on the ground. That really helps. And then mentally, sometimes I actually take a moment to set an intention. I am here to hold space for whatever they're experiencing. The worst thing that can happen are a couple of feelings. Like those are just a couple that came to my mind as I was writing this podcast, but there's, there's lots like... Asking yourself, like, what is my intention with this person? Can I witness whatever they are going through and hold on to myself? Like, whatever your intention is, really thinking of it as you walk into the room. Then when you're with the person, the other person, the other patient, right? Um, if I feel myself getting really drawn in and I almost feel it like, like, I almost feel like mentally I've left my body and I'm, I'm like entering theirs. I'm, not delusional. I know I'm in my own body, but just that like emotional sense where I'm even leaning forward more. I'm like really enraptured in their story and I'm feeling a lot of what they're feeling. If I notice that's happening, first of all, I mentally like think of my brain floating back into my own body, sitting into my chair and doing some of that grounding, like 
grounding myself into my chair, into the ground with my feet. Sometimes I ask myself, like, where is the feeling happening? And looking over at that other person separate from me, just having that feeling all the way over there, their hearts is the one that's racing, their face is the one that's flushing. And it's and it's hard and it's beautiful and I can hold space for it from over here, separate from them, right? Like I really like witness that there's space between us and it helps me hold space for them. And if I'm really up in my feelings, either because of what they're feeling or because of something they've said and now I'm all anxious or something, take some of those deep breaths. And I really like checking in with what my pinky toes are feeling because even when I'm in my most overwhelmed, anxious state, usually my pinky toes are totally chill. So that's another little hack is just like, how you doing pinky toes? They're good. So that means not the totality of my body is melting down in this moment. And it just helps ground me a little bit. Afterwards, um, if I've had some heavy emotions in the room and I'm carrying them, I don't want to bring them into my next patient encounter. Again, I try and write them out, dump out what I'm feeling. Like I'll say, I'm feeling shame. I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling rushed. I'm feeling worried. This is what I'm worried about. And then again, I, I physically stretch or another one's like shaking yourself out like a dog. Uh, you can do this in front of other people or you can like, you know, stand in an empty room and just like shake yourself out or like bounce up and down hard on your heels. Like these are some practices that just help like release some energy from your nervous system, ground you a little bit. And uh, so those are some of my practical tips that I wanted to share about how to create space for other people's feelings to give them back to them. And I'll say my favorite practice partners for this are my two and four-year-old sons. I have had many, many opportunities to practice holding space with them as they weep over broken bananas and finish episodes of Paw Patrol. And it's from the same space that I do try and hold my own inner meltdowns. Like, if you can bring as much compassion and love to these emotional waves that your body experiences, I have found that to be the most effective way of allowing them to clear as efficiently as they can. And same with the meltdowns of others as well, beyond just my sons. So just thinking in my head or even out loud, if it seems appropriate, it is hard to feel this feeling. I know it hurts in your body right now. It's telling you something is wrong. Something is dangerous. Something vital is gone. It's trying to take care of you. And you're, you're actually doing totally okay right now. I'm here with you while you feel this feeling. I'll never leave you. So what I just said to you, you have the opportunity to save to yourself the next time you're feeling really overwhelmed, really stressed. And especially if you're worried, if you're like, I can't do that thing because it'll make someone else mad. Just remember their mad is in their body. It cannot touch you until you have a thought and your own emotion about it. And what if you had capacity to allow them to feel whatever they're going to feel and actually were able to show up in your own authenticity, your own integrity of what you know is right for you to offer to your patient, whether whatever they feel next how will that ground you in your power and allow you to show up in ways that actually serve your patients better because you yourself are being served better? I truly believe this is a key to taking back so much more power and control for yourself and releasing others with the burden of trying to, you know, be in charge of your emotions too. So that's my invitation to you. How many times today will you catch yourself doing something or thinking something about someone else's emotion and how can you then give that emotion back to them and practice feeling your own 
I'm wishing you all a wonderful day. Take care. I would love to hear from you. Please share your human moments in medicine with me on Instagram at joanchanmd or on my website, joanchanmd.com. On my website, you can also find other restorative medical education offerings I have, including one-on-one coaching opportunities and skill-building workshops. I look forward to connecting with you there. Thank you.